and welcome to Big Gay Energy. I'm Bree. I'm Theora. And I'm Caitlin. Come along with us while we dive into the fun and nuances of queer media. Representation matters, and we're here to talk about it. This episode is brought to you by Snapple. Welcome to the Snapple Market Auditory Experience. Close your eyes. Imagine you're walking into your neighborhood store. You make your way to the back and reach for your favorite Snapple flavor. You can't wait. You take a sip. Whoa, that's a lot of flavor. Mmm. What flavor are you holding? Now open your eyes and check out Snapple.com to find ridiculously flavorful Snapple near you. Cheers, queers. What's on the big gay agenda today, Theora? Today, Caitlin, we are continuing our Heartstopper Season 2 discussion. And this one, I don't think will be a challenge, <laughs> even though it's called Challenge. <laughs> We're back to playing on the title. We gotta do what we gotta do. This episode was super fun, and we get to spend it in Paris. And who doesn't love Paris? I've never been, so I don't know. <laughs> I'm, I'm into their I'm into their lifestyle, their bread, and the way that they say bread. fuck you to the government. So it sounds great. I mean, yeah, their bread is great. Um, I love bread. So I need a better experience in Paris. Let's just say that. So the challenge is that the gang has to head to Paris, and they need to figure out how to load up the bus first. So obviously <laughs> the gays stop and talk while they're doing it to delay it even further. Obviously. Uh, yeah, so they're loading up their luggage. And Nick asks Charlie if he is sure he wants to keep it low-key. And Charlie pauses for a moment, but he ultimately says yes. Because, you know, he doesn't. <laughs> no, Charlie really doesn't. <laughs> no, and he, he wants to be out and proud, but uh, that is not what's best for Nick at this point. Yeah, I think Charlie's struggling with giving up on the Paris dream. Because when they talked about it in other episodes, he was so excited. He's like, imagine we'll be in Paris and we'll get to like kiss on the Eiffel Tower and like walk around in like the most romantic city in the world, like together and like out. And yeah, that dream for Charlie has been like squashed because it is what's best for Nick. And like Charlie is very empathetic and understands that. But like at the expense of his own feelings here, because he was clearly super excited about that. Like he's We've never seen his face light up that I mean, with no. Nick, yes, but like just so happy to be out because he's never had it. And no, and he thought this was going to be his moment. Yeah, I feel really bad for Charlie here, but he's tr he's trying his best to do the right thing. Uh, I want to note something, though, when they do do the luggage loading into the into the van. Nick is a chivalrous gentleman who takes Charlie's big luggage and he, he just blows it for him without saying anything and this is one of the first times when they greet each other they don't do hi hi they do hey hey Why? which is interesting <laughs> <laughs> hey hey it does, it's not the same as hi hi it's so I don't not. know what made them do that so when in Paris I guess you, you say hey instead of hi well, because hi is just too gay. And they're in that front is of true. People. And it's low key to say hey. <laughs> so that makes sense. That tracks. Good good job, Caitlin. Thanks for putting that together. <laughs> but then Charlie drops a bomb on Nick and Nick sees the ramifications of not coming out. Charlie says that they probably shouldn't sit next to each other. 
Yeah. And he, Nick is obviously upset because he's like, but I can't spend two <laughs> seconds away from you. Um, Charlie doesn't want Nick to feel guilty that he hasn't come out yet. So Charlie plays it off by saying, it could be fun being a secret again. Ugh. What? It- <laughs> Poor Charlie. I feel so bad for that line. Because, like, again, he's doing his best to, like, make this okay for Nick. Again, at the expense of his own feelings, which we see does not work out well as we, like, continue on this journey. But Nick's little face, his little sad puppy dog face, when Charlie says, like, we could, it'll be fun being a secret, like, it's very clear that, like, although having the pressure taken off of him for, like, coming out by the Paris trip is ultimately a good thing and is helping Nick's stress level, it's very clear that Nick is really torn between, like, what he wants and then what Charlie wants and what he's capable of doing when it, in terms of, like, coming out to, like, more than his mother and I feel like there's a bit of a bend trigger that's still kind of happening for Nick where um actually maybe both of them because again Charlie is ultimately by making this concession to be like we'll keep it low-key he clearly is really heartbroken that he's really he has to have another closeted relationship like he did with Ben and Charlie has so much trauma when it comes to the Ben situation him being out and all of that stuff so it has to like stir bad memories for him when he's already kind of like in a bad mental place as we can kind of see and then Nick at the same time I think he has this feeling that maybe he's letting Charlie down and himself a little bit too because he was so confident that he could do this and then he's like wow it's harder than I thought um and coming out and being out is ultimately something ben is incapable of um and so i feel like nick is also being hard on himself a little bit too like we saw in like the other episode and i think that's still kind of there for both of them it's hard coming out it is it is And I do love the way Charlie changes the tone of this whole thing. And he's like, yeah, Nick, I bet you can't last two days without kissing me. So, yeah, we'll see about that. Char, who who is the one that breaks first? (laughs) Is this the first time we hear two days? Yeah, the two day challenge starts here before we even leave to get to Paris. These two days. I know. (laughs) Everything feels like two days with them. Which, I mean, that's, like, with lesbians, that's, like, the two days, and then you're U-hauling. So, like, it's a good frame of reference in queer relationships where things escalate very quickly. Charlie's feeling it, you know? Two Two days. days. Two days. I love you, see. But anyway, because they, (laughs) Charlie and Nick can't sit next to each other, Nick sits, uh, Nick sits next to Tao. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, he sure does. (laughs) Okay, um, but Tao's face when Nick sits down, <laughs> like, pause it. It's hilarious. Like, it's clearly the face of somebody who does not want to sit next to Nick. <laughs> it's like, Ugh. I'm yes. really grateful. Uh, Theora put um, screenshots in her notes, so it's helpful. <laughs> it is really funny. So if you can go pause it when he sits down, it's worth it. We can pop it up in the screen for YouTube. But, like, if you're listening, yeah, go do that. Um. But Nick does offer to let Elle sit there because, yes, he you does. know, he figured Elle would want to, but she's like, no. And just, I'm gonna sit with the girls. Yeah. 
Which doesn't make sense because, like, it's two to a seat and Tar and Darcy are clearly <laughs> sitting next to each other. So, like, you could have sat next to Tao and just turned around. Do you remember who she sat next to? It might have been Sahar, but I don't actually remember, to be honest. She has to t- She has to- Oh, because Imogen is probably with ben. I think Imogen starts with Ben on the ride to Paris. That changes later, but yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. but she had to sit next to one of them to get them to realize that, you know- they have some work to do with the other. They sure do. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone's trying to match make each other is kind of the deal. Anyway, Charlie sits next to Isaac. But I find it ironic that Tao and Nick are sitting next to each other since they butted heads last season. <laughs> like, if this was last season, there's no way. Nick, no. Nick would probably be trying to sit anywhere else beside, except Tao. I think Tao would get up and leave. <laughs> Honestly. If it was seasonal. Or just like spread out more and just like his elbows are like into Ah, Nick. Yeah. (laughs) Put his luggage there or something. (laughs) But I'm glad that this happens because like ultimately this leads to like everybody forming a really tight-knit friendship with each other. This this trip is like an opportunity for everybody to co-mingle with each other like pretty consistently. So I'm glad that they get paired up with each other because they haven't really communicated since season one really not nick and tau but like tau and you know charlie have talked about nick and that has like smoothed things over when it comes to tau but these two haven't independently talked to each other so i'm glad that like we're starting to like get them interacting with each other i think it's a really good thing um nothing says a genuine interaction than being forced to be with somebody correct no (laughs) no okay it's not like the teachers are like nick sit next to tau i'm surprised they didn't have assigned seats to be honest they like giving assigned seats to everybody they or side, they like pairing people up that hate each other. <laughs> <laughs> like Mr. Farouk really loves Nick plus Ben because did he not make the seating chart for like independent study? And he's like Nick plus Ben. And then later on on the Paris trip, he's like, "You guys need to learn French." Nick plus Ben. <laughs> I think it's a Mr. Farouk thing. Now that I'm thinking, about he's that. just like I'm seeing things. I just I'm seeing it. I'm getting vibes from these two because they also put Tara and Darcy together. So it's like they're like we're operating off of vibes. These two teachers. Uh, I just thought <laughs> I could not see Ben and Nick together, mm-hmm. but but no, not there's some issues, underlying issues they need to work out. Oh, one million percent. Oh, and and Farouk is probably like, just work it out here instead of like... At home. (laughs) Oh, this is after after the exams, right? Yeah, yeah, this is after the exam. Because he's like, I just cannot handle those two talking again. No, he's like, go talk elsewhere. I don't give a fuck. Or I don't give a rat's ass is what he says. But anyway, (laughs) we're like skipping. But anyway, that, I just had to bring that up here. Okay, wait. So relevant information to the scene. So you mentioned that Isaac and Charlie sits together. Okay, so when Charlie sits down next to Isaac, of course, the first thing he asks Isaac is, what are you reading? Because, of course, it's Isaac. And he says, Les Mis is what he's reading, which I thought was hilarious, because I'm sure you're familiar with Les Mis from, like, the... No. No? I'm kidding. Okay. Yes, I do. <laughs> like, the theater, yes. like, the, yes, the play, the movie of the play, all that stuff. So, but I didn't know this about the book, so I looked it up. Apparently, it's one of the longest books ever written. And when we, when he gets into the van to go to Paris, he's already halfway done with this book. So, like, King Isaac and his reading is crazy. And by the time they get to the hotel, I have screenshots of it. He's on, like, the last page. 
damn halfway, i know he gets halfway through the lot one of the longest books ever just on the trip to paris which is wild how long is this trip to paris i don't know i imagine it's a couple of hours oh i should have looked that up but, well i don't know where their actual starting point is yeah but it can't be like that far in terms of COVID, we're our views of driving are very skewed because mm-hmm. in america like two hours of driving is not a big deal but two hours of driving in the uk is considered a long journey two hours i will only be like a town over (laughs) correct yeah because like the our country is so freaking huge like from florida when i used to live in florida it used to take seven hours just to get out of florida because it's a peninsula and like in order to get to the next state it takes seven hours so like that was just leaving the state yeah if you go to an east coast road trip you're like yeah i got to florida nope you got a lot longer to go (laughs) no you got the north florida there's nothing there drive california (laughs) california is the size of italy so like it's humongous just that one state so anyway, so like this can't be more than getting out of Florida, but I don't know for sure. But anyway, Isaac had enough time to read half of Lamez, which is wild. Okay, and then okay, I also love last like face reaction from Tao. I just love Tao. Is after L is like, I don't want to sit with you, I'm sitting with the girls. Tao looks so deject, like rejected. It's so sad. Cause like Nick was like trying to match pick. He's like, hey, you wanna sit with <laughs> you wanna sit with L? And then all the expression just leaves Tao's face and he just looks so heartbroken. It's really sad. He he does he turned into the puppy. He, he did. kicked the puppy. So poor Tao is not off to a great Paris trip. It's just looking real sad. And speaking of sad, so we mentioned Imogen and Ben actually sit together on the beginning of the bus ride. They go on a journey when they get to Paris, but when they enter the bus, Ben looks way too long at charlie which indicates this is not going to go great this trip for them because ben is clearly not over charlie despite his new beard relationship with imogen imogen just deserves better and imogen obviously notices this and she's like weird so like what happens later with them it doesn't come out of nowhere like ben gave so many signs and like imogen is has eyeballs and picks it all up But poor Charlie, like, does make eye contact with Ben. So this is not a one-sided Ben looking at Charlie situation. Ben sees it. And then based on Charlie's reaction, so Charlie, after that eye contact is broken, he just shrinks in on himself. And, like, so Charlie's having bad thoughts. And it's really clear that, like, Ben is still a major trigger for Charlie. Like, and between Ben being in a closeted, between Ben being there, and then now Charlie's forced back into the closet with Nick, Charlie just seems so stressed out before they even get to Paris. And what I hate about this is that he's sitting next to Isaac and Isaac doesn't notice this behavior from Charlie at all. Like not a single one of Charlie's friends pick up on the fact that he's having these really bad thoughts and it's affecting his behavior. The only person who ends up noticing him is Nick. So I feel like if Charlie was sitting next to Nick in this moment, like, Nick would have picked up on this immediately because it's just the way he watches and really observes Charlie's behavior. And he's really good at picking up how Charlie's feeling. I feel like maybe the Paris trip wouldn't have been so bad on Charlie's mental health if Nick was with him in this moment and could have like talked him through it or like gave him a little bit of comfort in this moment. So it's just, it's just sad that like right off the bat, Charlie's like in a bad mental place and like you can see it just 
on the bus. Everyone would have been better off if Misery didn't follow them. That too. And we mean Ben. For people, ben <laughs> just in case <laughs> you're just coming into this now. <laughs> yeah, his last name of Ben Hope is really misleading, so. Yeah, Can't no. Ben Misery. It's, I'm pretty sure, like, my brain is convinced his last name is Misery, because I always forget. It's Hope. <laughs> As you should. Anyway, well, we don't know how long the drive was, but during no. the drive, Isaac asked Charlie how he knew he liked Nick. Because, I mean, they're adorable together. Yes. And Charlie just lights up. He's like, yes, I can f- I can just talk about how much I love him. Something um, happy. Yeah. So Charlie lights up telling him how he always wanted to be near him and felt like he couldn't breathe. I think that's the gist of it. Isaac looks happy listening to him until Charlie says how he always thought about kissing Nick. And then... Poor little Isaac looks a little depressed and just glances at James confused. He just looks back and he's like, what the hell am I feeling? Yeah. So I I like the start of Isaac's, you know, what do I want journey. What I find really interesting is the way he asks Charlie the question. So the line is, can I ask you like a really weird question? Before you and Nick got together, how did you know you liked him in that way? So the fact that Isaac frames this as a really weird question, it gives you a lot of insight into his, like, state of mind and how he, where he's at in terms of, like, figuring himself out. Because I think he thinks he's weird because he he doesn't know how to figure out if he has a crush. And Charlie's response doesn't help him. So I think that's why he looks at James and he's like... I don't really feel any of that, you know? And what does that mean? But I I, I think that Isaac on some level wants to ha- be around James because they have the love of books in common. And, and every scene we've seen them together so far, like in the library, putting the book display together, Isaac genuinely seems like more like himself when he's hanging out with James because they have a shared interest that Isaac doesn't really seem to have with his other friends. So I think maybe that's what's where the confusion is coming perhaps for Isaac because he's like, yeah, I really like hanging out and being around James, maybe more than my other friends, but I don't think he's making the connection that it's like, we have a good friendship because we have things in common versus like Charlie's description of Nick, which I love Charlie's answer because it, it so encapsulates what first love is really like. He's like, I want to be around him all the time. I, I feel like I can't breathe. It's just like these big feelings that you don't know what to do with to the point where it's like, I can't even breathe, which is like something I don't even think about doing, but I have to think about it when I'm around Nick. So, yeah, I just, I, I, it says a lot about where Isaac's at. He feels like he's weird. Something's wrong with him. And it's, his feelings don't quite match what all his friends are feeling. And, like, all of them are, like, coupling up in one way or another. So, like, it must feel really isolated. No one likes being single in this show. They're always paired up with somebody. It's like that time of life where, like, romances start happening. So to be yeah, like it's a weird time, it's a weird time. And it's got to be especially weird for like somebody who's asexual and is figuring that out to have to figure that out amongst your friends where all they want to talk about is romantic love. Like that has to be even more confusing and like isolating in a way like, you know, yeah, luckily I had friends who like just didn't weren't dating, like didn't care about any of it so i didn't even have to at that time i didn't know i was gay 
and I didn't have to like worry about talking about boys and be like, who do you like? So yeah, it's, it sucks when everyone's like that around you. Yeah. And you're just, you're not there or you're trying to hide that you're gay (laughs) or you don't know. (laughs) You're like, fuck, uh, let's talk about something else. Be like, oh, I don't really know. Did you see her that the other day? She looked really pretty, don't you think? I think so. I don't even know who we're talking about. <laughs> no, no, it's just gay staring. No talking. Yeah. Anyway. Universal uh, love language. <laughs> universal love language of gay staring. But a big thing happens next. Mm-hmm, sure does. <laughs> the biggest thing that anyone's ever seen or heard in this show, apparently. Nick speaks French. <laughs> and Tao looks super confused. And we learn that Nick's dad is French and lives in Paris. He does. And Tao's reaction to Nick is all of us. He's just like, what? Because like the premise of the trip is that they're going to Paris to like so like a foreign language kind of like field trip where it's like you get to practice the language you've been learning although i find out on the trip not everybody took french no i think french. only half of them actually took french yeah, but like that's the educational premise of like you know it's like to. seeing the louvre and like spe- immersing yourself in another culture and like learning the language like half the people actually take the language but like but then they have that's the premise and everybody's like okay yeah, nobody speaks french and then they have nick beyond the trip and just start speaking fluently. Like there's a later scene where Nick is getting ice cream and the whoever the the person that's giving it to him is basically comments and he's like, Oh, your accent is really good. So it's not just like being able to speak the words, it's being able to have the accent down and all that stuff. So Nick almost sounds like a native speaker, which I think makes it more impressive to people. They're like, Wow, he's speaking like he's from France. And Nick is the type of person that doesn't brag. So he didn't tell anybody that he can do this. He just like got on the trip like everybody else. And then just boom, he's fluent in the language. So I think it's very shocking to most people because like Nick probably never told anybody. And they're like, what the fuck, man? Like do everybody's worksheet. But this is also like, you. we don't know much about Nick's life. Like this is the first time like everybody's learning. And it's kind of like Darcy as well. Like they just keep to themselves and all they all you know is like what you pull out of them basically yeah so like it which again is really suspicious for nick because nick's kind of an open book when it comes to like his mom and stuff and like he's very like wears his heart on his sleeve so the fact that he never talks about his dad it should be is was alarming to me i'm like oh and then like as you get more hints about his dad it kind of makes sense so he is trying to meet up his dad on the Paris trip because his dad lives in Paris. And like, based on this conversation he's having, Nick is clearly really excited and like hopeful about this. And again, like I find it very telling that like nobody knew anything about the fact that he speaks French because of his dad. Nobody knew anything about his dad. Nick never mentions his dad. And like, yeah, just, that just, he says he doesn't see his dad often. And like, it shows is what I'm saying. The poor hope. The poor hope in his little face and voice. I know. It it hurts. It just hurts. Nick deserves better. Olivia Coleman did the right thing. She's like, fuck this guy. <laughs> we don't need you. Also, <laughs> like, all, all I need is Nick. Nick and me. All I need is Nick. Do, 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 do. <laughs> That's Charlie's theme song. 
my gosh. Oh my god, Nick, Caitlin, Nick has another brother. <laughs> oh no, I know. I am fully aware. <laughs> I hate David too. Yes, his name is David, and we're at to, we're back at the point where we're talking back to back about red, white, and blue. I know. Ones. I was just thinking that. So I'm, like, oh, I'm just like trying David to dog. <laughs> switch that it's not a dog and it's a human person. <laughs> I really wish David was a dog. I know, me too. <sighs> Crossover. <laughs> David the Beagle plays with Nelly. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, could you actually that'd be a really cute crossover you know if they went to go see their okay imagine red right royal blue exists in the same cinematic universe as this and like the field trip was go i don't know why this would be a field trip they're going to buckingham palace to see the royal family and it's like henry and alex is there and like these two get to meet them or uh, like alex just notices the two of them and then he's just like huh i can see it yeah Hold hands. <laughs> <laughs> and he's just like the whole time like trying to like just yeah, push them. That like... would be Alex. <laughs> oh my gosh. People Someone please wants to write, write that fan fiction. Everything. If it already exists. <laughs> we give a fan fiction prompt every single episode I feel like. And no one has tagged us yet. So <laughs> <laughs> Someone write it. We don't have time. This podcast takes way too much I know. time. I would write them myself. I just don't have time. <laughs> But one of my favorite lines in this whole scene, (laughs) because if you can't tell, I love Darcy. Darcy is being Darcy and asks why they can't see fish if they are under the water. And Theora graciously provided me the name of the tunnel, which is the Euro Tunnel. And I'm just like, I understand. You, You said that it's a direct line from the book. Yeah, because they basically, they're in the, so the Euro Tunnel is this tunnel that goes underwater that I guess connects England to France. So they have to go underwater to get to the other country. And so it takes a while to like get there. And when they're under there, it's just like dark. And Darcy makes the comments like, why can't I see fish? And then like, it continues in the book. And she's like, I thought there'd be glass like in an aquarium and I would get to see fish. (laughs) But like, you can't glass like that. That would like be structurally like sound enough to do this so like that's why i have pondered that a lot when i was little like how the hell tunnels even exist like underwater i'm like how does it not collapse how does when i go through the aquarium it's glass and that doesn't collapse (laughs) it's not the same amount of pressure sitting on that tunnel in aquarium that there is like straight up in a river or whatever they are i don't understand how they even make a tunnel under the water me either we are not engineers. But yeah, that is a direct line from the book. Um, Okay, and then, okay, so then to continue Darce, the Darcy stuff. So when they're like 30 minutes from their destination, Darcy starts waxing poetic to Tara about how this is going to be the best trip of their lives. Because as a gay, she gets to room with her girlfriend the entire time, which means kissing more than once every two days. Nick and Charlie, looking at you. <laughs> Look at you. Oh, gosh. Um, But Tara tries to, like, you know, actually have a real conversation. Yep. And not be in the fantasy land. Yep. And tries to bring up how Darcy never said I love you back. And Darcy plays dumb. Because that's what she does. And tries to change the subject. Yeah. It's, It's really... So Tara brings this up multiple times. And it's really evident 
that both of them are very concerned with this I love you situation. Tara is clearly worried that Darcy is shutting her out, which she totally is. And Darcy is afraid of opening up. So it's like they're afraid of the same thing, but for different reasons. And it's over and over again, Darcy just uses her humor as this, as a distraction to like distract Tara from like the real issue. So she'll like bring up crazy things to like take the heat off of like the emotional aspect of the situation, which is what Tara is trying to like pick at. She's trying to be like, how do you feel? Like, why do you like tell, like tell me stuff. And Darcy just like makes a joke. And it's like a defense mechanism for Darcy to protect herself. And she just charms people into liking her. Like that's how she behaved around Sahar and like got Sahar to like her. She just makes jokes to like charm people. And she is charming. She's charming, but that humor keeps conversations surface level and it allows Darcy to deflect from anyone asking her about her feelings or seeing past this happy-go-lucky jokester facade she always has up. And the only person who's trying to get under that mask is Tara. And she's pretty persistent about it, especially on this trip. And it's like Darcy starts like her level of panic starts like escalating kind of over time. And, And the way she escalates here is she brings up prom and she's like, I think we should go as Princess Peach and Mario. And so I want to ask, Caitlin, do you think they could they could pull it off and, and who is who? That's what I was about to ask. Like, who is who? Because like, well, I, who, I, who do you feel? Originally, I thought it was going to be Tara as Mario and Darcy as Princess Peach. But I don't think. Oh, I man, I thought see, the other way. <laughs> I could see Darcy as Mario. So yeah, she'd wear a mustache yeah. and she'd be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I definitely because. Yeah, that makes more sense. Yeah. I could um I think they could pull it off. They could pull they could pull anything off. I, I think Darcy could really pull off Mario. I agree. I, I would like <laughs> to see it, is all I'm saying. Her twelve year old boy suggestions. We need a montage of like every suggestion that Tara no, Darcy has Darcy throws from- out there for prom. <laughs> yeah. And just see them all dressed up in like mm-hmm. those themes. That would be amazing. Um, but we have to always go back to misery. Every time we're in, like, Humorland, it goes to misery. Ben, I'm sorry. I, he's, that's all he is in my head is misery. Just keep going. It's fine. He looks at Charlie with jealousy and poor Imogen is left sitting there as usual with misery as a boyfriend. I know. Imogen gets totally screwed on this trip because, he pays zero attention to her. No, like, he never zero has. genuine attention. His attention towards her is always motivated by something he wants. The first time we see them together, he does not even looking at her. No. Like it's feel, awful. How often does he actually look at her face? Like, come on, look at that face. I know. She's a delight. <laughs> and an ally. But you know who does look at each other? Ellen Tao, the entire fucking bus ride. And it's just like pining glances and like just kiss already. God. I mean, I feel like Nick should have just. You have to obviously see Tao looking over his shoulder oh all the God. time. Probably the like whole just, time. Like either give it up or kiss her. <laughs> exactly. Make a move, man. But then they finally get to the hotel. And Tao offers to carry Elle's luggage for her, but she just brushes him off 
and and poor Tao. He is really trying to make things normal, but Elle is pushing back because he yeah, wasn't normal for the Elle's, date. Elle's tired of having these sad feelings, and she's like, no, I don't want this. But what I find really funny about this is just like uh, Tao is trying to take a page out of Nick's book and be chivalrous, but it obviously backfires. But like Charlie is now used to this chivalrous behavior. So like after he like hands Tao a bag and like it took me a minute the first time I watched it, but I was like, is Charlie like taking him up on his offer? And he's like, here, you want to carry my shit? (laughs) It's Tao's bag. But like to me, it would be really funny if Charlie's like, well... I don't, <laughs> has taught me I don't carry my own bags. <laughs> I love that. I thought that would have been funny if that was the case, but it's not. It's Tao's bag. Um, okay, and so after that, they go up the stairs, and then they get to the room. And yeah, this is the scene where Isaac is holding his Les Mis, and there's like one page left in the book. So, boy, he's he's impressive. And they take a glance at the room, and there's only two beds. and four boys whatever shall they do and i love that isaac immediately is like uh there's a window that's mine i'm getting that side (laughs) because books and then tau picks the opposite side of the bed to purposely split up nick and charlie and he explains it to charlie because like charlie and nick are just like oh man we were gonna get the happy like share a bed thing like tara and darcy clearly are going to um, but Tao explains to Charlie that he thought that Charlie would find it awkward if sharing with Nick, which doesn't really read well, to be honest, in the TV show. Like, this happened in the book, but it happened under different circumstances, and to me, this reads really weird. Because Tao, Tao's like, well, I find it being awkward, it's awkward to be around L right now. But, like, they're not in a good place and Nick and Charlie are. So, like, this explanation is weird. I just thought that they conspired beforehand. And were just like, they're not sleeping together. <laughs> I mean, that would make sense. But that's not what Tao says. He's like, I, I didn't want it, want it to be awkward for you. Like, to Charlie. Because, like, in the book, this happens. But in the book, Tao doesn't know that Nick and Charlie are dating. And so... He knows that Charlie has a crush on Nick, but he thinks it's not reciprocated at this point. So Isaac picks the book side of the bed and then Tao purposely picks the other side to split them up. And he's like, hey, I thought it would be awkward for you to have to share with him because you have a crush on him and he doesn't like you back. So that's why he does it in the book, which makes more sense. That makes a lot of sense. Right. And in this scenario, it doesn't make sense. Yeah. It was just weird. It's like it's like they did the same thing, but it doesn't translate as well because the situation is now different. Because, again, Tao's like, I find it awkward to be around Elle, and I thought you would find it awkward. But, like, their situations are totally different right now, so it doesn't read correctly to me. But it makes for them to have to figure out how to be close at night. Sure. And what do they do? They hold hands from across the small little oh aisle. God, that was so <laughs> cute. <laughs> cute and slightly pathetic i think Um, they do that in the book too and it's very cute but they nick is so committed to holding his hand throughout the whole night meanwhile you see charlie and he just wakes up like this but i don't charlie gave up (laughs) no nick was seriously he's like i'm gonna do this forever and charlie's like i'm going to bed <laughs> Nick's i like, want my hand back i i'm going to show you how committed i am i can't be out but i'm committed to holding your hand 
And through the the hand commitment, we get the leaves. Because we need the leaves. The leaves. And then <laughs> I named the next section. And they were roommates. Yes. The tradition. The teacher. Let's go, Let's go uh, to the awkward teachers. Yes. <laughs> they're trying to unpack. And they're just like slowly moving around each other just like trying not to bump into one another also i find it very odd that they unpack their suitcases because i mean i don't really have much experience with actually unpacking because like do you unpack your suitcase okay, when you no, go places? i'm the same way unless i have like okay so unless i'm traveling for like a conference or a wedding where i have formal clothes that need to hang and not get wrinkled no, I'm not un- like sh- unpacking everything from my suitcase. I'm just going to leave it in the suitcase and just work out of that. Because, like, it's more, it's extra time and, like, who cares? But some people straight up do this. Like, they move into their hotel room and they're like, this is mine now for, like, they're going to be there, like, a week. So. Yeah, okay, to be fair, I did do that uh, when I was at a hotel for a week. I think a full week. Yeah. Uh, for the convention. And then I ended up leaving stuff, so. <laughs> Right. When you're not used to it, when you're not used to it, it can go poorly. I will say, uh, at least they have two beds and not one, because this would have been more awkward. Would it? I mean, not for us. Right now, it would be, but (laughs) let's let's wait a little bit. It might not be too awkward anymore. No. Um, I also want to shout out the costume designer for these two, because their clothing is very indicative of their headspaces. So we have Mr. Farouk. I don't understand what time of year it is because everybody's wearing different clothes and I it don't get it. It makes no sense. And Paris is even worse than It's their weird. Because like Nick is in a short sleeves and t and t-shirt, short sleeve t-shirts and like shorts the entire time. Charlie's always in sweaters because Charlie's always cold. But then like other people are in are in like Harry's in like long sleeve clothing. So I can't tell what time of year it is because everybody's wearing different things. And the leaves don't help because they're always no, falling yeah. and rising based on their emotions. Like, <laughs> I would have thought it was more summer because they finished the exams, but I really, I don't know what the temperature is, is what I'm saying. If so I don't the know the GCSEs, what... it should be like June, July. Right. But I have no idea. Like maybe the school years are different. I don't know. It's just very strange. So anyway, so I think the clothing are more indicative of the characters' headspaces than they are reflective of the temperature and what's going on. Especially these two, because Mr. Farouk is covered head to toe. Like, he's in a long sleeve shirt, pants. Then the other teacher, whose name I keep fucking forgetting, (laughs) art teacher, the art teacher is wearing a short sleeve button down and shorts. So to me, that's indicating that, like, Farouk is the more closed internal character that internalizes his feelings. And then the other character is more open because he's like more exposed to the world based on his clothing. So you have like a closed character versus an open character. And it's pretty consistent in their wardrobe the entire time they're in Paris. Like, so like these are like clothes they get to pick versus like school clothes where you have like a dress code. So I appreciate that little detail. Thank you, costume designers. This is why I prefer the uniforms. Not, I don't prefer, I meant just in real life. I hate picking out clothes. That, that's just, we're getting sidetracked. Anyway, but we make it through the night. And in the morning, Tao is faced with another dilemma. Not really a dilemma, but he sees apple juice. So you know his head is spinning. And this French apple juice, he's just 
Was it the last one left again, or was there a bunch in there? I was just thinking that. I think there was more than one. I don't think it was the last one. And there should be more than one, but I just, for some like, reason, I'm used to seeing it, just one. It is their, it is their brand, though. Yes. It's not, like, just a different kind of apple juice. It's the same brand. So that's, Just written that's in French. Sign. It's just written in French. So, this he has a dilemma. Should he give Tao not Tao he does he want to keep the apple juice or does he want to give it to Tao? Oh Tao. Uh, I think we know what the answer to that is. Yeah. He, he will Tao. never think of himself do, above. Do, 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 do. Does he do it? Does yes. he do it? There is a small crack in the tension when Tao quickly gives L apple juice. Like he literally just walks by the table, just goes puts it <laughs> down and like, runs away. Runs. No words. No words are spoken. <laughs> And then pretends he isn't staring at her when she sees the apple juice. It's really cute. It's just a sweet reminder that Tao knows Elle. Like, it's not just that, like, I don't know. Because he looked and, like, Elle did not get the apple juice for herself, even though that is her favorite drink. Because Tao is usually the one that gives it to her. So it's like he noticed her, noticed her drink was missing, and was like, let me give her her drink. So I think to Elle, it's like Tao cares. You know? And plus, like, apple juice at this point is just, like, their thing. It's like the butterflies. It's their thing. And I think Elle really sees that peace offering for what it is. And Sahara's sitting next to her, like, just looking at the writing on the wall. She's like, so this is the boy, huh? But also, I feel like Sahar doesn't know about the apple juice, so she's just like, why are you a smiling idiot about apple juice? <laughs> she's like, how do I get boys and girls to bring me drinks? Like, how do you Imagine? have that power? Because, like, nothing was spoken. It wasn't like, hey, Tao, get me a drink. He just brought her a drink, said nothing, and left. And Sahar's like, how do I get bitches to do that for me? <laughs> her face really does look like that. It is. She's like, bowls. <laughs> Uh, but after breakfast, while Charlie and Nick are getting ready, they have a really weird conversation about sharing a bed. And Nick is worried Charlie thinks he wants to have sex. Okay, I don't think it's weird. I think it's just like, uh, they're alone in a hotel room. And, like, the conversation goes to where their relationship is headed at some point. And basically charlie's like i really wanted to share the bed with you because like, i think that was their plan on the trip and it just got derailed and nick says i'm sure we'll get to do it one day because like, he's like saying that like it in the context of talking about sharing a bed and so charlie is like really because if you think about it charlie is like full-on gay and he's been out for a hot minute and then nick is like coming into being bisexual so like they've never talked about sex before so charlie's like okay good that's good this is this relationship is headed where i want it want it to be and i think that like for charlie that's a topic that obviously never came up with ben like i don't think that ever came up once so it's very possible that Charlie has, like, insecurities when it comes to this topic. So to hear Nick, like, the boy he's been dreaming about forever, casually suggest something like that, I think is validating to Charlie, you know, in a lot of ways. And Charlie's mm -hmm. been having a bad mental health day. So to hear that, I think, brightens his mood up a lot. Or, like, we're in the next day, so the day before. And then, so when Nick realizes what he just said and how Charlie misconstrued it, he starts stammering through this giant smile. So I think it's safe to infer that Nick has, or is in that moment thinking about the possibility of that with Charlie. 
Um, and so while there's miscommunication, like this Freudian slip is really revealing as to where they're both uh, at regarding this topic and where their relationship is ultimately headed. And plus, they both verbalize it afterwards. Where like Nick's like, someday. And Charlie's like, I can't wait. And Nick's like, me too. So it's like, <laughs> it ends very cutely. So like, you know, I like this conversation. I think it's cute. And then they, uh, they either... No, they don't. They almost kiss. They almost break they almost the two-day challenge. And Tara and Darcy interrupt them before they get to kiss. Because, of course, they do. And Darcy sees this. He, I love and this. she's like, oh, you're being gay. Good job. Carry <laughs> and on. backs out of the door. No, but I love that she's like, carry on. Like, keep going. And then she closes <laughs> the door and leaves. So it's iconic behavior, and I love it. Yes, uh, but then Charlie asks if they will ever not get interrupted, and all I could think was, "Yeah, when you learn how to use a freaking lock, <laughs> there's a I, lock on the door." I assume they're just not like automatic locks, like in American hotels. It's like old school where you have to like oh, manually yeah. lock. So like, yeah. I didn't even think of that. And I assume that like Tao and Isaac left, and they probably didn't lock the door because if you're not used to locking doors behind you, this happens. Mm-hmm. It would have been funnier if, like, Darcy had a key and she was just, like, <laughs> she's just like, I need everybody's spare key. Uh, but That's they- not the person you give the keys to. <laughs> no, she's just like, I feel like she would be, like, looking at all the keys, like, haha, yeah, look, I got She would lose keys. them all, then nobody no, can get them all. It's on the Eiffel Tower, she just, like, <laughs> drops ah, fuck, them yeah. all the Eiffel Tower. No, absolutely. But those those sweet sweet boys they still think they can keep up this two-day bet going where they don't kiss oh no correction this isn't a they thing charlie is the only one that thinks that nick knows charlie does not have the willpower to stick to this but he like baits him a few times and side note so they get ready for the day and they kind of leave and nick and charlie have already u-hauled wardrobes because if you look at what they're wearing in this when they like get out to Paris, Nick is wearing this like baseball shirt. Um, not like a baseball team, but it's like a baseball shirt where it's like a white shirt, but then like the collar is lined with yellow and his sleeves are yellow. And if you look at Charlie, he's wearing the same thing but in red. And he's got like a uh, flannel over it because it's Charlie. But they're already you hauling wardrobes. It that it took two days. I'm saying like the two-day thing. If they've been in Paris. On, it's day two of this trip, and they're already you hauling wardrobes. It's happening, people. It's happening. There it is. <laughs> yeah. Did, didn't they do that in the book as well? Oh, yeah. Well, in the book, Charlie just keeps stealing Nick's clothes. So maybe okay. this is probably stealing Nick's clothes, but they're you hauling wardrobes. It's, or, or it's already happening. It's day two. Wonderful. Yep. It's pretty but gay. Then carry, on, guys. <laughs> carry on, guys. Carry on. Stay gay and carry on. Okay. <laughs> That's merch if I ever heard it. Damn it, Fiora. Stay gay. Yes, that's actually really good. Uh, BigGayEnergyPod.com. Check it out. Check it out. Anyway, they have to go uh, explore Paris now. Yes, let's do it. Elle makes a move to say hi to Tao. And I feel like that's her silent way. Not actually silent, though, because she's saying hi. But, you know, it's silently letting him know that they are good. Yeah, I agree. And then Isaac invites James to come with them today. So James isn't alone. 
Oh, I'm so happy that James is with them. I th- he makes such a good addition. He does. And their gay group just keeps getting bigger and gayer. And I love it. <laughs> yeah. Just uh, gayer and gayer. That's Round all them we all need. Up. <laughs> oh, poor Imogen. She just wants to do something cute and coupley <sighs> by getting a padlock and writing their initials on it. Uh, her and Misery's initials on it. But of course, Misery makes her feel stupid for even suggesting it. Like Honestly, Imogen... He's doing you a favor. You don't want to forever lock with him. No, no. Go yeah, forever lock with Zara. He's such a tool. I'm like, why are you even on this trip? Because it doesn't seem like he even wants to be here. Well, Charlie's there. Yeah, I, I feel like he was like debating whether or not he really wanted to go. And he's just like, well, Charlie's going to be there. I could just stare at him from afar. Seriously. Be a lovesick, closeted gay boy. Yep. but Nick Nick overhears the conversation and you can tell he just absolutely hates the way Ben is treating Imogen he's not subtle about that at all no because like who would be when you're seeing misery Ben misery look at not even look at Imogen because he never looks at her no but Imogen just gives a slight smile and brushes it off because like I mean she's probably embarrassed absolutely and you can see that she is getting to her breaking point because yes. every conversation between Ben and her makes her feel small and worthless. And yeah. correct me if I'm wrong, but I do not think that is how a relationship is supposed to make you feel. You're absolutely not wrong at all. Throw that relationship in the trash. But then we cut back to the teachers and just the teachers interactions are hilarious all the yes. time. Good comic relief. The the teachers uh, go on a croissant date. We don't see the croissant date, but they're going. It on. happens. It totally happens. Uh, because Farouk isn't allowed to have alcohol because he's like, I need alcohol to deal with this. <laughs> deal with uh, children. Yes. Also, why is he a teacher? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I feel like it's like I feel like this is a job he fell into, and right. now, like he just <laughs> can't get another one. And he's just like he's like, eh, I'm here. <laughs> um. And- then once the teachers are gone, the students are free to do whatever the hell they want, which I feel like is very dangerous. But you know yeah, what? I do too. Uh, the gang tries to figure out what they want to do first. Tao and Elle want to go to the art museum because of course they do. I mean, yep, Elle loves is. art. Tao's like, I like art, but I like Elle even more. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna suggest whatever she wants to do. Uh, somehow, this, the whole group silently agrees that they are going to take this opportunity to set up Tao and Elle to be alone together. So this is the dialogue between them. Darcy, I don't know. I think museums are kind of boring. Tara, uh, going along with Darcy. Yeah, it, it would be nice to just explore. I mean, technically you could explore the museum, just saying, but whatever. Um, so Har is just trying to be uh, helpful. And it's like, why don't you just go two go together then? And that's not Nick. It's supposed to be Charlie. It's it's Charlie who says we could meet you in a couple of hours. Wow, guys, I really cannot keep, keep Charlie and Nick apart. <laughs> it's like I have to be very, very careful with like, all right, who is this? Oh, maybe by the third season I will get this right. <laughs> and I okay. Yes, and I, I still call Charlie Nick again in the next thing. Um, if you pause it right before Charlie says this line, you see Isaac with a tricky grin. James trying to process what is happening because 
he's new to this group of people and he doesn't yeah. really know how everyone works. <laughs> and then Nick is catching on and then has this biggest smirk and it's adorable. Uh, what but cuties. My, my favorite part is that once, um, t- uh, oh my gosh, keep these names. There's so many names. Elle and Tal walk away. Darcy is calling Tara a mischief maker and then saying that she influenced her because yes, yes, you did. Yeah, she did. But they make such a good team. But uh, then we get some little bit of sadness because Charlie sees Tara and Darcy being very cute and very out. Like souvenir shopping is what they're doing. Yes. Um, And he wishes he could be like that with Nick because like they're just really cute and gay looking at things. And who wouldn't want to be like that? But you see him debate holding hands with Nick, but he ultimately decides against it because he doesn't want to go against Nick's wishes. Yeah, and you can see it on Charlie's face. Like, he has this look of hopefulness when he sees Tara Darcy just, like, kissing and looking at a sweater. And after he, like, he, like, pulls his hand away from Nick, like, you can just see, like, that facade that he's been wearing of everything's perfect. It just starts to, like, crumble because he's trying so hard to make everything perfect for Nick, including this trip. But again, it's at the expense of his own feelings. And it's very clear that Charlie just like really wants to be out and be able to just do what he wants. Like Nick, like as far and Darcy do, but he just, he can't because he knows Nick's not there or that's not what he wants at this moment. But it's just, it's very clear that like everything is not perfect in Charlie's head. And emotionally for him. So it's a little sad. But after that scene, we get another cute scene of Tar and Darcy just being little baby gays all over the... Because all over Kara. So they're like... Oh, they're so gay. So there's like... Obviously, there's like statues everywhere. And like just not even in the museums. Just like out and about in public. And they find one of this woman with like bronze boobs. And I assume it's bronze because people have touched it enough times. So of course, they start... Darcy starts like fondling. I didn't even catch that. That makes sense. Yeah, that's why. And then, so Darcy does it, of course. And then, like, they start taking selfies with this, like, photo, this, like, statue of this woman. Because, of course, they are iconic lesbian behavior. I am here. (laughs) But then we jump to James, and James thanks Isaac for inviting him to join. And we get the confirmation that he's gay, if we didn't know it already. But I feel like this is the first time we hear it. No, we knew this because um, when there's there's some part earlier where uh, I think they mentioned that James is the only other out gay person oh. in their year. I missed or, that one. Maybe it was the book. I can't remember. But like, we did know that about James. Um, I like what he says here, though, because he mentions to Isaac that like, it's really nice to be around other gay people. And then Isaac has a really cool friend group. And so, yeah, it's that importance of, like, finding your people. And, like, there's something really liberating about having a group of queer friends because they just understand you better because you guys go through the similar, like, things in life and have similar interests and stuff. And one of the big themes in Hardstopper is found family. And Alice really drives this home. Um Really by like minimize my number one by minimizing screen time slash book time devoted to parents like period and it's more about Nick and Charlie and Nick and Charlie's friends um and 
what I really love about this particular episode is that James's experience with Paris is really juxtaposed with Imogen's in terms of like found family and what it is and is not like to have that. Because here's James finding a group of people he fits in with. And he's like, it's really cool. It's really nice to be around people like me versus Imogen, who's getting isolated from the friend group because of Ben. And like that kind of comparison like continues throughout the trip. And you just see how happy James is and how miserable Imogen is. Imogen just needs to hang out with them more. She does. Like, she needs to just get in that friend group. Girl, you fit. I mean, like, she's been pulled in there multiple times, but she's just, like, so obsessed with having a boyfriend that, like, she pulls herself out of it. That and Ben is controlling and doesn't want Imogen to hang out. So I feel like part of it, too, is, like, he's, like, if she was, like, I'm going to go hang out with them, he'd be, like, no, you're hanging out with me. Like, he's just controlling and, like, Part of like predatory behavior like that is isolating the woman from her friend group. Because if she's isolated and alone and doesn't have a support group, she's going to go along with his controlling behavior a lot easier than if she had the friend group, which is what happened with Charlie. Charlie had a supportive friend group and that pulled him out of that, that situation with Ben, but Imogen doesn't have that. So like, that's not what's happening here. But then they need to get ice cream. I had no, I had no idea how to transition to that. Ice cream, time of day. When, when in Paris? Yeah, I mean Paris. You automatically think of ice cream. I would go get a croissant, but that's what they're doing. Uh, But when they're getting the ice cream, you mentioned before that I had to think of like not Charlie, not Charlie, Nick. Nick. (laughs) Nick is speaking perfect French asking for his and charlie's ice cream cone and i just find it very funny every time someone new hears nick speak french because we could get multiple scenes of people being like what the hell yeah it's just nick doesn't boast about it he doesn't i think he doesn't tell anybody so then it just takes them by surprise because like what the fuck you speak like a native like when did where did this come from to the point where like darcy has the best reaction where she's like He's like, oh, my dad's friends. And she's like, your dad's French? Since when? (laughs) And he's like, since birth. And it's a funny sounding line, but I think that's confirmation that Nick told nobody that he could speak French fluently. So that's why she's like, since when was this a thing? You never told us is what she's really saying. But it comes out funny. But I just don't think it was like really relevant. Like he doesn't really use it. I'm impressed that he's fluent and like very good at it without using it much. I think it super is relevant when you're going on a trip with a bunch of people to the country to be like, and you're about to explore unsupervised to be like, oh, it's okay. I speak like I can read that. I can speak it like I can translate for you. I think that is super relevant. Yeah, well, but that's relevant then. But I mean, like before the trip. Yeah, but like, yeah, anyway, but like he's on the trip now. They're in the situation where like that knowledge is helpful to people. And he, again, doesn't, he doesn't bring it want up. To be, he doesn't want to help everybody. He's just like, I'll fend for myself. <laughs> Probably not Nick. Nick doesn't <laughs> want to help people. I think that he just, he's no, not I know. Brags. That's just who Nick is. He's very humble. So like, I think that he just never thought to like brag about himself. So he just never mentioned it until it like came up and then he just did it. That seems more like Nick to me. Yeah, I mean, you're right. Uh, why they, while they get ice cream, Tara and Charlie are alone. And they have a heart-to-heart. Charlie is obviously jealous of Tara and Darcy because they can just be themselves. But he tells her that he doesn't want Nick to get bullied. 
like he was. So he's like very much so worried that Nick is going to get bullied again and not again. Oh my gosh. Like he did basically. Yes. What what's interesting too is that in the book, um, this conversation starts off and Tarly says, I'm jealous. And he's jealous because Tara and Nick used to have a thing and he still has residual jealousy over that. Kind of like, I think Nick has a bit of that when it comes to Ben a little mm-hmm. bit. So it kind of, I think it was interesting. It starts out that way. And that's when Tara's like, yeah, no way. Like I was, <laughs> I was RC. I love that bitch. It's like, we're both <laughs> very, very gay. You don't have yeah. to worry. <laughs> Tara and Darcy, I don't think have the I love you thing that separates them. Like the uh, I, I say I love you, you don't say it back thing. So they're mm-hmm. more secure in their relationship in the book when they have this re- this conversation. But Tara tells him that it takes time and that she is also jealous of Charlie's relationship with Nick because they actually communicate. Yes. So, uh, but she can't get Darcy to talk about her feelings without making jokes. Nope. Cause that's what, what Darcy does. And I think again, Tara comes back to the fact that Tara is afraid that Darcy doesn't love her back because a part of the conversation with Charlie is she's like, She's like, oh my God, Nick's so in love with you. It's really gross sometimes. Like you can just tell by the way Nick looks at Charlie that he like is in love with you. And I think that that's Tara telling on herself because she's like, I don't know if Darcy actually loves me back because I can't get her to talk about her emotions. All she wants to do is joke and make things happy. But like, I actually don't know how she feels. So I think that's scaring her a little bit. And what's interesting about at this point in those two relationships, each relationship has something the other relationship doesn't. So like we saw in the souvenir shopping scene, Tara and Darcy are out. So they have the, we are free to do PDA, whatever we want, like that physical expression of affection versus Nick and Charlie have the communication down that like verbal affection. So like they have like an aspect that the other relationship doesn't have and like desperately wants and kind of needs Um, from certain aspects of certain characters and that whatever the relationship is lacking that's what's causing all this friction or this like bad mental health stuff happening in both relationships which is I find really interesting because they're like juxtaposing the two of them uh and um I already said this okay and I love that um Tara's comment about how she mentions to Charlie, like, before she's like, yeah, we're out and about now and everything's great. But when I first was, you know, coming to terms with my sexuality, she mentions that it was really difficult for her to even call herself a lesbian. Um, and I think that that's really relatable to a lot of people. I had that growing I up. I did as well. It was hard to say that word because there's so much stigma around that particular word versus saying, I'm gay, I'm queer. And it's like, comes from living in a patriarchy and being surrounded by misogyny and things like that. So, like, you know. It only got easier for me when I, like, met you guys. Right. And, like, had this podcast that, like, we said the word a lot, so. Exactly. Exactly. No, totally. And I think that, like, practice makes perfect kind of when it comes to these situations. Like, coming out gets easier the more you do it and, like, things like that. But these these characters are all in the beginnings of their journeys when – they're less experienced and things are harder to do. Like even just calling yourself by a label that fits you can be really challenging. Um, 
And I love when Tara starts talking about, or she does the flashback of like the tipping point for her and Darcy when it came to PDA, because again, Nick and Charlie are at the, the situation where like PDA is new and not something they do. So even if they were free to do it, it might be harder than it seems because it's new. And her tipping point for that was when uh, they, she was, I guess, doing a dance recital and her and Darcy are outside in the snow with our cartoon snow. And she's nervous about the dance recital and Darcy is just talking her up. And she's like, she's like, listen, she's like, even if you're suck, I will be cheering louder than anyone. I will be doing the wave. I'll be doing all this stuff to like hype you up. Like, it's going to be fine. I'll, I like, well, I'm here to support you no matter what. And like, and Tara mentions, she's like, and she just kisses her. And her explanation to Charlie was it basically like in that moment, we were the only two people that mattered. And that's why she just did it. She's like, I don't care what other people think. It doesn't matter. I don't even need to label this. I'm feeling what I'm feeling and I'm just going to act on it. And she's like, you and Nick will get to that point. No one was around anyway, but... Everybody was coming inside. Um, I want to shout out that scene though, because if you go pause it, there's some complimentary colors and things going on in the scene. So it's like Tara and Darcy in the front and Caitlin... I'm so sorry. I'm so (laughs) sorry. Uh, and Tara is wearing like a purple tutu and uh, Darcy is wearing this like jacket that's like white with blue and if you look in the background there's a banner for the dance recital and it's the same colors that they're wearing so there's like the purple and then that same exact blue and then you have the white with the cartoon snow and stars that are like in uh, lights behind them. So it's just a really cute scene and really well framed and the colors work so well. And I love it. It is really cute. It's really cute. I really cute. like the color scheme. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, but uh, to summarize this, all of this stuff, the sad truth of all of this is that it's like homophobic, homophobic people and the reactions from homophobic people is what's really driving a lot of the division between like the Nick and Charlie stuff and like, Tar and Darcy when it came to like the PDA PDA stuff. Um, And something else I really, really love about the scene with Tar and Darcy when they like do PDA for the first time is that it's a moment where Darcy is genuinely open with Tara in that scene. Like she's being a supportive girlfriend. She's not making jokes to make her laugh. I think she's like genuinely like I'm here to support you and like being real with Tara in that moment. And I think that's part of why Tara is like, this is the moment when I'm going to kiss her. Cause she's Darcy's facade's not there. She's not wearing the mask. She's being very real in that moment. And Tara responds to it. So I think maybe that's why that's another memory that sticks fondly with Tara. Cause like the real Darcy was there in that moment, if that makes sense. Yeah. And I mean, they're just really cute together. They are. But I think like, I think that's why Tara is not giving up on Darcy. Cause she's like, I've seen you do this where you can be real and like real with your feelings it's possible I'm concerned that you won't do it. So I think that's why she doesn't like give up on her. The way Imogen's like, fuck you, Ben, after like three days. <laughs> she's like, you don't give me any affection, whatever, screw you. I think Tara's more invested because she's like, I've had these moments with Darcy. They're rare. They exist. I want to get through to her because she's worth getting through to. But back to the present day, Nick and Darcy come running to them with ice cream cones that... I mean, Fiora is like convinced that they're real, but I feel like they really can't be real. I know they're melting, but like, I don't know, those these ice cream cones have been living in my brain for a while now. 
Yeah, I just, it's just, it. if you look at Nick in one of the scenes, um, one of the cuts where it's kind of like, the, the camera's coming over Charlie to like Nick. Nick's on like the left-hand side of the screen. Charlie's on the right. You can see like on his like sweatpants, it's like covered in whatever the ice cream is made out of. So it's like straight up melting all over him, whatever it is, like pretty quickly. So I don't, I don't know what it is, but like it's straight up, it's melting all over Nick. And like, he's doing his best to like, like hide it. Like Kit is doing a really good job trying to like hide it, but it's like, he's covered in whatever this stuff is. Interesting. Yeah. I... <laughs> all right. We need to talk to a prop person from Heartstopper then. <laughs> yep. But Charlie tells Nick that he is still full from breakfast and Nick points out how he barely ate anything. And you can tell he is starting to notice that something is wrong. Yeah. And what I really hate is that Charlie flat out lies to Nick in this moment. And he insists he did eat a lot at breakfast and it comes off super defensive. But I hate that he just flat out lies to Nick in this moment. He does that quite a bit this season, actually. And I hope uh, Nick gets him to cut that out next season because don't lie to your true love. Oh, they're, they're going to go on a mental health journey when it comes to Charlie next season. That's what this, this has all been leading to. I, th- I think uh, everybody needs to talk to a therapist who can be played by Olivia Coleman if we want. Anyway, <laughs> once Charlie does try to eat the ice cream, because, you know, he's still trying to be nice, he ends up with someone his nose, which apparently he doesn't notice. But of course, Nick does. And he whips it away with his thumb and then licks it. Charlie is giddy because that is the closest they have been in public. Like, he doesn't... Nick does not act straight. At no, all. No, not at all. Public. No, he doesn't. <laughs> like, how does it not... How does everybody not see it? And, like, Charlie's little face is just so lit up when Nick's just... Nick's just acting. He's just like, yep, let me get this off your face. And Charlie's <laughs> just like... Yay! There's still some left, but they don't care about that. <laughs> no. Uh, something I will note that's worth uh, watching is that notice in this scene that like Charlie does decide to eat the food. It's just Nick and Charlie. But when Charlie is surrounded by a bunch of people, that's when he's more like he doesn't eat. So it's Yeah, it has to do with the the fact that, like, Charlie gets a lot of anxiety when he's around a bunch of people. But when it's just him by himself or him and Nick, a lot of that stress goes away. So that's why he's eating the ice cream cone, because it's just him and Nick and he feels less anxious about it. So watch for that, because there's a couple of scenes like that where you can like Charlie doesn't say what he's doing, but you can pick up on his like eating disorder stuff like if you just watch him there's a there's a lot going on in uh, charlie's head yeah oh for sure but this was super cute (laughs) there's a lot going in in uh everybody's heads and we're going to see some more when we hop to the art museum with chow and l oh let's get some art history going (laughs) yeah so uh not not art history, but uh, Tao apologizes for everything he said about Naomi and Felix and tells Al that he is... T- and tells Al... Al... Al. 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 
I'm like, why does this not sound right? L, that he is glad she is making new friends, but he is really worried that he is going to be left alone because he has abandonment issues. He absolutely 100% does. And he obviously cares about Elle and, you know, her future and things like that. So I'm glad he did this. This is really big. And I think it's what Elle needed to hear. Um, And what I do love about this particular scene. So this scene takes place before they get inside the museum. So they're in this like little like gardeny walkway that leads into the museum. And they're in this like, well, they're underneath this like arch of rose bushes or rose vines, and it I absolutely reminds love me the- of your your rose garden place. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, I live near a rose garden, and what I love about the way they shot this is they shoot it um, outside of the arc of like vines, and so like it gives this really intimate feel that you're like peering into this like really private moment that L and Tower having because they're like in this little world of like roses and stuff, and it's really cute. I love that the. the directing choice for this scene it just feels more intimate which is what these two really needed was an actual intimate conversation just one-on-one and by the end of this this conversation they ultimately agree that their friendship is too important to let something dumb like feelings ruin it so they're just gonna go back to being friends yeah okay guys let's see how that works out i'll give it two days or less your friends (laughs) aren't gonna allow you just to stay friends (laughs) the feels are too big then we go inside, and this is the only thing I noticed. So many stairs. Uh, yeah, there's lots of stairs in Paris, and also in this season, there's a lot of overhang shots of just looking down at staircases, especially spirally ones, and seeing people walk upstairs. There's so many, there's like three at least in this art scene sequence. But, like, in this season, there's so many shots like that. Like, the directors were obsessed. They're like, stairs! When they got to the hotel, they did that as well. Yeah. Multiple times. Yeah. Um, so, basically, they're showing you that apparently France has no elevators whatsoever. No. And that you will get a workout and take the stairs everywhere you go. They start to look at the art on their own because, you know, they're not together. They're just friends. They're just friends. Friends looking at <laughs> art. Whatever, Caitlin. Yeah. But the friends can't look at it together because that's too coupley. No. Um, so Elle really takes a while to look at them and like really soak it in. Whereas Tao just takes a photo of all of them and like looks at it a little bit. But it's like, oh, he'll look at the photos later and then take it in. So like, you just kind of see uh, how different they both view the art. Because Tao is behind the lens and behind the camera and like something that will always be there. And Elle likes to live in the moment i feel like god that's so true and tao is also capturing photos of l without her knowing throughout this too so yeah he wants to treasure the moment forever and that includes l but includes l they're just friends (laughs) Mm -hmm. they're totally just friends and you know how when you're just friends and you're in a museum and you're like trying to make the other person laugh constantly and playing around with them yeah, just as friends. Yeah, Tao keeps doing that. And I do love the easiness with which they're now, like, back to being playful with each other in this whole scene. He's just literally screaming inside of a museum. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Unsupervised children in museums gone awry is, like, the, these two episodes that were <laughs> when we're in Paris. 
something I also absolutely love about this this whole museum scene with these two is the song that's playing in the background. I think it's so perfect for the two of them. It's called Mona Lisa. And I think it perfectly encapsulates what Elle and Tower both feeling. Um, so the lines from the song go, I'm so tired of being a book on the shelf, tired of stories for somebody else. Think that I'm ready to start a new chapter. I've been looking for some way to turn it around, looking for someone to give me the crown. And I want to feel like I finally matter. I feel like that's how they both feel. Like Elle when she's trying to go to art school and then Tao when it comes to Elle. Because Tao is like, I'm not good enough for her. But then they kind of like find that in each other. And I love that it's like, I want to be a Mona Lisa, which a Mona Lisa is like this big iconic. It's like, either you love it or you hate it, that kind of, that art. Um, but it's like this pinnacle of like the Renaissance art or a famous piece of art. Uh, I want to be the kind of girl that you can dream of. And I always had the, the and I always had the words, but I don't want to say it. Wish I could paint a smile on my face. I want to be a Mona Lisa. Um so is there anybody out there who could change my point of view the way that Van Gogh uses yellow or the self in Frida Kahlo? I could be that for you. I just think it's a good metaphor for the two of them. They're like, I need somebody who sees the beauty in me. I'm like a piece of art. Like, and I think they're both kind of like that. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's a great song. Oh, love it. Um, but after they move from looking at all the art on the wall, they go in this like art studio looking place. Um, it's like a beautiful room with like floor to ceiling wall, floor to ceiling windows, so tons of light. It's like a perfect studio for like creating art. And I love that Elle is just like drawn into this room and she sits down at like the desk, like where the art supplies are. It's like she's in her natural element. And I think it's so perfect that Tao just like takes the photo to encapsulate that forever. Cause that that's L the artist in her natural element. And to me, that action from Tao, I think makes it really evident that he believes in her and her dream to be an artist, like genuinely believes in her and is genuinely supportive of this dream. She has like, he can see it. He's like, yes, L has the talent. She can like, she sees this room for what it is and how it could be used. And like, this is where she fits and belongs. Like, I think he's her number one fan, honestly. Oh, he definitely is. But he just wishes it didn't take her so far away from him. Well, of course he, he, he like, but I think he, at the end of the day, I think he understands she has to go. Like, he's just, he just doesn't want to lose her, but that's normal. But then we get Oh my moment. God. That's really weird. It's so weird. <laughs> I mean, I know I say things are really weird, but, like, this one is weird. It's so uh, weird. Tao takes a picture for Taurus and just has them, like, constantly start, like, I don't know, like, squatting down. And, like, just, it's just very slow. And I don't know if he's taking photos the whole time. I definitely would be that person to just, like, keep clicking. I'm like, you get one. <laughs> but, like, why? So, they're out in that courtyard again where there's just, like, trees and they're in between small buildings. So it's not like these people are in front of a statue. It's not like they're in front of a piece of art. There's just like a tree. And Tao's like, okay, I'll take your photo. Thanks for asking. And he just gets the family together. And then he keeps going like, get low, get low, get low. And he gets low with them until they're like crouching in front of this tree. He's a visionary, Theora. He sees but, like, things. 
that you don't i guess it's just like not the background like it doesn't make sense for why they're crouching there's nothing unique about that advantage but this photo is now blown up above a fireplace in their house i'm sure it is but you know who's really into whatever this is l because we get the cartoon butterflies around her when tao is doing this weird thing with taurus (laughs) because he's being a cute little idiot and she loves that he is. He's being nice, and he's being a cute little artistic idiot, and I think that she loves that. Uh, and side note, I just want to say that Tao and L, in my opinion, are the most stylish characters on this show. Like, the way they're dressed to go to this museum, it's just, they're in, like, bright colors, big patterns. I love L's like, turquoise boots. Tao's got his little, like, man fanny pack. Thing. Elle looks like she belongs in Paris. Absolutely. And so does Tao. Like, Tao dresses, like, really big. And I love, and bold. And I, I love, they both do. And I really love that about them. Because they're just, they're not ashamed of their personalities and the things that they like. And I love that about them. That type of confidence is really fantastic and more people need it. And I love that, that the two of them. But now we go to meet back up with the gang. And... <laughs> The girls are in one group and the guys are in the other. And I just, every single time I see this, all I think of is um, Greece and when they sing Tell Me More, because they're having the same conversation about how Ellen yeah. Tala had fun together, but nothing happened. Nothing happened. They're just friends. They're just friends. <laughs> uh, Imogen is still trying to get Ben to do something, anything with her. And Nick notices it once again, because any time that Ben's name is brought up, he will notice. Absolutely. But also, he's just, he, I feel like he's very protective of Imogen as well. Because he I does mean, consider ab- her a friend. And- Absolutely. And it's very obvious she's not having fun in Paris. Like, it's super obvious. And in, like, classic Ben fashion, he's not paying attention to Imogen until he sees Nick. And then that's when he does the possessive arm grab for to pull Imogen closer to him which it's not affectionate it's just like insecure men he's like she's mine you can't have her but he clearly doesn't even want her you know what I mean mm-hmm. and I, I'm glad that Imogen sees this for what she is and that's where she's like fuck you Ben and she leaves yes because she finally does something for herself and leaves Ben to go hang out with the gay kids and exactly so prop to Imogen for not placating Ben's possessive bullshit uh, she is a woman who does respect herself too much for that. And I just wish poor Charlie could have had that kind of, like, confidence about himself when he was in her position. Yeah. Because, like, it messed him up so much because he didn't love himself the way Imogen clearly loves and respects herself. She's like, I'm not putting up with this shit. Imogen has had the self-confidence from the first episode. Oh, my God. Yes. It is to be admired. That her self-confidence. Girl, I, I swear. I need, I need her in my life. Totally. Like, and I think that's what ultimately saves her from Ben and like the psychological impact Mm -hmm. that Ben can leave on people by his abusive behavior, which just look at Charlie and you'll see how that goes. Yeah. So Imogen walks with Nick and Elle in the front of the group while everybody else is like messing around in the back. And while they're walking, she is complaining about her relationship with Ben and how he never does anything with her and just likes the idea of a girlfriend. And what I like is that Elle asks if she even likes him because he sounds awful. 
because he is. He's a misery. Uh, they both seem like they just want to be in a relationship because that's what you do. And I'm going to ask, are they both, Ben and Imogen, are they victims of compulsive heterosexuality? <laughs> oh my gosh, yeah, probably. Um, no, I think they are because you bring up a really good point that like, and even in the scene that like, Imogen doesn't even seem to like Ben anymore. Like they've been friends for a while and she's like, yeah, he's always been nice to me or whatever. But like, it's very evident that once you're Ben's girlfriend, he doesn't like you anymore, but she's still with him. So is this Imogen being like, well, I see all the girls and boys pairing up. I should do that too. You know what I mean? It seems like she's with Ben and she doesn't even like him and he's with her and he doesn't even like her. This reads like compulsive heterosexuality to me. I have such high hopes for season three and I, I'm so scared they're going to get crushed. <sighs> but Imogen flips it onto them and asks how they are doing. Oh, yeah. they She asks how, like, how they're basically, they're doing in their relationships and if Tao and Elle are together. Elle says they are fine just being friends. No, <laughs> bullshit. <laughs> Imogen says she thinks being honest is better than living with regret. Meaning they need to get their heads out of their asses and know that they are in love with each other. <laughs> Nick ponders what she says. I think Nick is having two thoughts when it comes to this. Because, again, the thing is, like, don't live with regrets. And I think that Nick, regret number one is, like, his inability to, like, come out to his friends or like he's why he's struggling with that so i think he regrets the fact that he can't just do that and number two i think it's becoming more and more of a regret to nick as the days go on about not confronting charlie about this his eating habits like directly confronting him to the point where mm -hmm. like charlie need, needs to talk to him about it and imogen dear um, I think you need to take your own advice and like let's be honest about who you're into. Cause like, come on, girl. Come on. You can you're do getting it. there. She's you're getting there. She's very far away right now, but we're getting there. Oh no, we'll get there. Speaking of getting there, we're gonna go to a group dinner where shit's about to go down. I have to say, the beginning of this is just like the teachers corralling all of these children into this restaurant. And I do not envy the teachers at all for having Farouk is doing shit. Farouk is like talking to the chef about food. Oh, Farouk is talking to the chef because like, you know how people have dietary restrictions? That's what he's talking to the chef about. So I feel like there's two approaches to the teachers. You get the list of everybody's allergies and all that stuff. So one teacher has to like get the kids to sit down and behave. The other teacher has to go to the chef and be like, listen, I understand your feud food purists here and you don't fuck with the menus but i have kids that are deathly allergic to all this shit and i'm allergic to this too so you have to do this like that's what he was doing so like i don't i don't envy any of this because uh i would rather just drink a bottle of wine than deal with all these fucking kids <laughs> too many kids man oh my gosh yeah uh don't don't drink a uh, public service announcement don't drink wine at dinner if you have never drank wine before uh, anyway, uh, Ben and Charlie are somehow sitting next to each other. Odd. Did Mr. Farouk be like, go sit next to each other? <laughs> He's always meddling. It looks like it's just an accident. I know. Or, or Ben <laughs> like seeks it. Actually, Charlie's sitting there first, right? Yeah, and Ben. So I think maybe Willingly Ben seeks it out. 
Okay. And then while they're there, they like order food and stuff. And Tao, my hero, orders the escargot because you're in Paris. And I like, I love him for that. I love that he's the adventurous one who's like, listen, it's the delicacy. It's a thing you can only get here. I'm just going to do it. But if that's that the only him. thing he gets to eat, now he's going to be really hungry. No, like, I think he's had sides with it because it's like okay. you get the main and then there's like sides with it. So it wasn't the only thing. But like, I would do it too. Like, even if I hated it, then I could be like, hey, I tried this thing in the fucking city where it came from like i'm gonna do it so i love that he he was the adventurous one and did do that and it's funny too because it leads to everyone else laughing at his poor decisions l words and uh we get this shot of them that i want to talk about where tau basically like chugs the water and then everybody's laughing at him and by everybody i mean tau's friends that are all sitting next to him so like in the shot you see like l charlie nick they're all focused on um Tao and like laughing kind of like with him because Tao is like yeah whatever I had to try it and, he's and like, there's this one random dude and some random dude but I want to point out that Ben is sitting next to Charlie and he's looking at them and to me it's the it's like the truth of Ben like Ben truly is an outsider kind of like Imogen a little bit um he's somebody who just coasts off his image like he has this image of being like perfect student perfect this and that good looking guy who can get whoever he wants he that is his he is his image but there's no substance underneath that like ben doesn't have someone um who he can really call a friend he doesn't have that support group like tau here's the situation where he made a poor decision quote unquote and like all his friends are laughing and like supporting him kind of thing ben does not have that so it's almost like he's looking in in this world that he like of things he doesn't have. And I think deep down, Ben does want those things. Like, I think he does want to be somebody who can be carefree and somebody who can be accepted for who he is. But there's such a deep level of self-loathing in Ben for who he really is that I he'll never have that. So it's like this heartbreaking thing. I'm just like, Ben is looking at the life he'll never have kind of thing. Like in this quick little shot with like Tao just doing something silly. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, part of me does feel bad for Ben, even though he just brings a bunch of misery, but he's just, he's so lost. Well, I think the sad, I, I like Ben as a character because he is the reality for a lot of people. And he's the reality of people in times before us where like being out just would ruin your entire life. And, you know, I think he's just, you know, he lives in a homophobic environment and he has bought into that. And he is very much, it's me. Hi, I'm the problem. It's me. And like, what is not the person that will break out of that and accept that truth? He's just like, I have to hide that forever. And there are some people that just, that's it. And they're just closeted, self-hating, you know, gay people. And that that has been and it, it's an unfortunate reality for people like he has opportunities to break out of that. But Ben is not strong enough to do that. And no. so he never will. So he's a very tragic character. And like you just see glimpses of it that he's like, I really want that. But like he's not he's not strong enough and he will never break out of this thing he's in. Because if he does that, he loses the image. He's not the perfect. He's not the perfect guy that everybody thinks he is. Like all he has is his image, and he'd rather play the society part of being that guy versus just genuinely being happy. It's just sad. It's a reality for a lot of people. 
Yeah. All right, another reality is what's going on with Charlie, too. Oh, yeah. Whew. So Charlie is staring at his food, not wanting to eat. And Ben tries to talk to him, which would make me want to eat even less. Yeah. And Charlie's just having, again, that deep, dark thoughts stare at the food. Um, and it looks exactly the way he was. He looked after he made the eye contact with Ben. So it's like Charlie having those deep, dark thoughts. And like, notice again, he's surrounded by a ton of people. Um, and so that kind of adds to his bad mental health stuff that's going on with Charlie. So for some reason, Imogen picks a nail to because, confront. Because freaking Ben, Ben brings it on himself. They're sitting oh, yeah, and having yeah. dinner. Ben's like, hey, Charlie, how was your day? Yeah. Okay. I, yeah, I do. Just He's like, that. I'm your girlfriend. We didn't barely spent time together because you were being a little bitch. You don't want to ask me how my day was? Like. She just had it because she keeps seeing the way he keeps staring at Charlie. He's only paying attention to Charlie. And here they are at dinner and he's talking to Charlie and not her. So she's just, this is, she's like, yeah. And it. she publicly points out that he is obsessed with Charlie. Which he is. She's like, I see the writing on the wall. Like, what the fuck? You're supposed to be my boyfriend and you're acting like his boyfriend. What the fuck? Like, she's just pissed. But then you get the shot of James and he just looks like he's eating popcorn or something and just enjoying the show. At this point, Imogen is yelling at him and the whole restaurant is quiet because like, yeah, yeah, they're in France and like France is exciting, but this is probably one of the most exciting things to happen yet. Yeah, I agree. Ben calls her a bitch, like how dare you, Ben? And even Harry tells him that's not cool. Ben looks super lost when he isn't backed up by anyone. Okay, let's go back to what he actually says. So he says, if you won't want to be with me, that's fine. But you don't have to be a bitch about it. So by saying that, Ben is absolving himself from any blame and putting the blame on Imogen. He's like, we're he's like, you don't want to be with me? Cool. Don't be a bitch about it. But like, she's like, hey, you're treating me like shit. And instead of being like, I'm sorry, he's like, this is all your fault, Imogen. And what I love about when Harry stands up to him and he's like, you don't need to, you're taking it too far, Ben. What the fuck? I think Ben realizes in that moment, he doesn't have a leg to stand on because normally the guys would like support him and be like, yeah, Ben's in the right. But when no, he's, he doesn't have any support here, so he can't keep going with this. And again, instead of apologizing to Imogen, he just storms out of the room. And I want to note that the conversation goes on at the table after Ben storms out, and it's so fucking funny. So, like, it, it, it's showing, like, Charlie's friends and, like, Tao. And the girls are really supportive of Imogen. Like, Tara and Doris here are just like, wow, like, I can't believe he did that to her, and blah, blah, blah. And meanwhile, Tao goes on this rant about Ben having stinky energy. And he's like, he stinks. He's just, his energy is really stinky. And like, it's really low and like murmury. But if you go back and watch it, it's really funny. Like Tao is really fixated on this. And I want to know if that was scripted or not. Because it sounds like something that would be improvised. Yeah, just just like the Darcy saying that Elle could paint everybody. And yeah, exactly. It gave, it gave me that energy. It was just really random and just really funny. Uh, I just, there's some things we won't know, and I, uh, there's so many questions. That's so funny, though. Just, if you missed that dialogue, go back and watch it. Like, Tao is so funny. 
When Imogen gets up from the table, Nick and Charlie follow her into the bathroom to make sure she is okay. Um, I feel like Charlie's like, oh, this is a great excuse not to eat. I'm going to yeah, go no, check on her. Absolutely. He's like, fuck this shit. And yeah. And I like when they're in the bathroom, conf- like comforting her. And Imogen's like wondering if baking up, breaking up with Ben in public was too much. And Charlie reassures her. He's like, that was the coolest thing I have ever seen. Which, yes, because I feel like Charlie wish he, wishes he could have yeah. done that to Ben. Um, but I would also argue that Imogen publicly calling out Ben is necessary. For somebody like Ben, relationships are all about having power and control over the other person. And the last thing he would want is to get called out in public because he can lo- easily lose control of that situation slash narrative. Because now he can't just go back to his friends and be like, she was such a bitch and she just, whatever. And like, again, further absolving himself by putting all the blame on Imogene because they can see it happening and be like, that's not what we saw. So what went down right then and there by her calling him out for being like, you're obsessed with Charlie, you're doing all this shit is his worst nightmare. And because nobody in the in the room was on his side after she spoke her piece. Um and this, again, contrasts what happened with Charlie, because with Charlie, their entire relationship happened behind closed doors, except the moment that Nick stepped in and, like, pulled Ben away from him. Everything else was behind closed doors. So it's, like, Charlie's word against him, his, if it ever came out. And Ben has this perfect image of being perfect student and, like, perfect guy. So, like, who are people going to believe? And he has that power even outside of the relationship. And so... With Charlie, I think he still really feels like I can still exert that power over Charlie whenever I want. Hence is why he's just like striking up a conversation at Char- with Charlie at dinner with Nick right there. He's like, I can talk to Charlie right right here and have a normal conversation, even though like Nick's staring him down. So. Oh, protective Nick. He is. I'm surprised Nick he- didn't just like kick him under the table. Oh, he showed up. <laughs> um, Imogen uses this uh, moment of getting Nick and Charlie alone to ask Charlie if he and Ben ever were a thing. And Charlie doesn't respond because he's like, I don't really know what to say to that. But Imogen says it doesn't matter anyway. And, Cause like she could sense that like, Oh, she yeah, shouldn't no. ask that anyway. Oh, well it's so obvious. Cause like Charlie starts shutting down. He's like, Oh fuck. But like, again, to confirm that would be to out Ben. And, and even Charlie is not, you know, is not going to do that. So I think she can tell by the way he's reacting that, yes. Uh, and then she's like, whatever, this is making you uncomfortable. I got my answer. And so she just moves on really quickly. And what does she say? She moves on to what, Caitlin? What the she, she says, it would be so much easier if I were into girls. Let's be and- honest, girl. <laughs> All I have to say is wait for it. I swear it's coming. It's but like, I, also, me- I also love Nick's response where he's like, I don't I don't think, think that's that true. is true. Which is true. It's, it doesn't make things easier. You just put eliminate Ben from the equation. But there there is a there's a girl out there for you, Imogen. I swear there is. I swear if that doesn't happen, Theora. <laughs> like, it's it's happening, Caitlin. Just let it, it has to happen. It's, it's gonna happen. And I also love the end of the scene is just like Nick being like group hug and like grabbing everybody. Cause again, it just comes back to having that found family and that support system because this very easily could have been a scene where Imogen's just in the bathroom crying alone by herself. And it wasn't, it was her found family, you know, comforting her and like giving her support. 
She deserves it. Exactly. Everybody deserves that. So I, lo- I love the way they wrap up that scene. Even Ben. Like, he needs someone. He does need it. Out. It's just, yeah, he's just stuck in his darkness, you know. Then we go back to the hotel. And Nick asked Tao how it went with Elle. At first, uh, Tao was, like, really short, short with Nick because he's like, why are you asking me stuff? Like, we're not what are you talking? <laughs> like, you sat with me on the bus. That doesn't make us anything. But then he, like, just was like, ugh, fine. And he starts opening up to him and talks about how he doesn't know why someone like her would like him. Oh, my God. The dialogue in the scene breaks me. So it just, it breaks me. Like, Tao, I love Tao so much. He's just... He clearly just thinks the world of Elle because he's like, she's so cool and interesting and beautiful. And I'm, I'm just me. And like, oh, you're cool. I know. But, and and we can all see that. We all can see it. But it's so relatable, that self-doubt that he's having. Mm -hmm. Because, I I mean, I view myself very differently than I uh, am. imagine other people view me and i think that's what's going on with Tao. like he doesn't see himself as being worthy of somebody as great as l but everybody else is like no you guys are like literally perfect for each other you guys are actually on the same level it's just that Tao is in it and can't see it i just this conversation is so beautiful and heartbreaking but i love Tao, and ugh, it's it's a very relatable moment and just ugh, what know. i love is that nick gives him a pep talk and mm-hmm. says all these wonderful things about him that Tao needs to hear and like you're just uh Tao's probably really surprised like oh shit this guy who I guess we're friends with now because of Charlie <laughs> like I've fallen into friendship with him <laughs> yeah uh, actually cares about me yeah for sure like even somebody like Nick who like he didn't even think was his friend can see how great he is you know and my favorite thing that Nick says is when he's like you care about your friends so loudly (laughs) my favorite line that he says but the key is that like all these things that nick really admires about Tao, uh, the 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 bottom the bottom line of all of it is that Tao is just unabashedly himself for all the world to see like he doesn't hide who he is and he doesn't care what other people think and i think that's something nick is lacking you know a little bit and so he's like i admire you Tao. like you're just you and you don't give a fuck like it's so great um and I love that after this little pep talk, Tao's like, thanks for being nice. Isaac, let's leave so they can have alone time. <laughs> and uh, Nick oh, takes Tao. that opportunity to be a little uh, bolder with his Insta post. So he puts like a post of Nick and Ch- the two of them, uh, him and Charlie, with the ice cream cones. That's cute. They are conveniently turned so you cannot see it melting. Mm-hmm. Sure is. Uh, so since they're alone, Nick pulls Charlie onto the bed with him and they say hi again. Because of course they do and they're alone so they can say hi and not hey. Exactly. They break the Paris rules, you're right. Um, and then I love that this devolves into play wrestling. And Charlie calls Nick a giant rugby idiot, which I think is so funny. It's like it's just like playful and funny. He's like, you giant rugby idiot. That's his insult. <laughs> It's so cute. It's so funny. Um, and then when things kind of calm down to like to his credit, Nick does again bring up the elephant in the room to Charlie. He's like, "Hey, I noticed you seem down today." And Charlie's response is, 
I just wanted to be alone with you. And to me, it seems like Charlie does have some degree of like social anxiety. And he does seem to get like more in his head and more like withdrawn when he's in a giant group of people. Um, and, and he perks up a lot more. group is small. It, even so, like so more than one person can feel like a crowd sometimes when you're having yeah. like anxiety. And I think that Charlie has a degree of that. And uh, to get his mind off of that, Nick gives him a hickey. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, and he doesn't Charlie, realize it, but... Uh... <laughs> yeah, he doesn't know that he's doing it, but he does. And Charlie sees neon flowers, but stops. Uh, he stops Nick because they might get caught. Because the door is probably locked. <laughs> uh-huh. Again, there is a lock on the door. Learn to use it, Charlie. Because Charlie came out of the bathroom. He could have just been like, oh, we're alone. And then locked the door. But, uh, okay. Per Charlie, though, Nick loses the two-day kissing challenge. But, like, but Charlie, you instigated all this. Yeah, I was like, didn't Charlie yes. kiss him first? That's what I'm, I'm like, Charlie, what is what are you doing? This is all instigated by you. And I have to point out, again, in this scene, they are clothing U-hauling because Nick is wearing, like, a white shirt with brown uh, horizontal stripes, and Charlie is wearing a white shirt, which on the sleeves has brown horizontal stripes. They're already clothing U-hauling. Guys, that happened so fast. So, so, so fast. <laughs> they look adorable. They are the cutest. And they even wear, like, dark shorts. Like, they look, they're twinsing up in here. All right. And so then they all go to sleep and it's the next day. And I love the shot of like everybody asleep and particularly Isaac, who has his face completely covered by a book and he's still like holding it, which I love that. That's how he falls asleep. And Charlie gets up first and goes and brushes his teeth. And I love the hickey reveal and the way they do it where at the way this is choreographed where like he doesn't notice and then he does notice in the mirror and then we get the oh and it just ends. Brilliant. Brilliant cliffhanger. I love that cliffhanger. Again, Savick shows, pay attention to how Hardstopper does cliffhangers because they're exciting, fun, low stakes, happy cliffhangers. Can we have <laughs> some of those in other fucking queer shows, please? Like this show nails it. Yes. Uh, that just, the this show does a lot that, uh, again, uh, showrunners, uh, no, networks, Pay you attention. Know. This is how you do it. This is how you do it. Oh my gosh. Uh, the challenge is not going to the next episode immediately, but we have to uh, wrap We've this talked th- about this episode the longest yet. And yeah, this is the fourth episode. <laughs> I'm scared for the finale. <laughs> oh it's going to be epic. So... If you like if you like this, please continue to listen. Uh, we have reaction videos on YouTube if you want to watch us watch the first three for the very first time. The entire season is available on Patreon, so for $5 a month, you can watch all of the Heartstoppers from season one to season two, the full episode, watch them along with us, including these episodes too without commercials. So there's that. Um, also make but, sure you subscribe or review or do subscribe. whatever you can do share it please help us out yes comment your thoughts below we love your comments i'm sure we've missed things please tell us what we missed okay i said i was going to start this so i have a word that if you have gotten this far i want you to comment below without looking it up 
the uh well the town Reykjavik. How oh do you God. spell that? Caitlin, what the fuck? That's so hard. Okay, if you're listening on like Apple or something where you actually make a review and try and spell that word, it'll confuse everybody looking at reviews. Yeah. We did that with Kookaburra uh before and it we did get some I don't know if we got a review with it in it, but yeah, I I want the reviews to start coming in with these random words in it. Yeah, do it. Make our dreams come true. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, until next time. Keep hydrating for lesbian Jesus. And gay it up all over the place. Join us next time for heat. Bye. It's going to be hot. It'll be hot. (laughs) (laughs) And with that, we've been Big Gay Energy. If you like this episode, check out all our other episodes right here on YouTube. Please like, leave a comment below, and subscribe for more amazing super gay content. If you'd like to support us, check out our merch store. Or join our Patreon for early access to episodes, exclusive content, and so much more. And with that, we've been Big Gay Energy. If you like this episode, check out all our other episodes on whatever you're using to listen right now. If you're listening on Apple, we'd really appreciate it if you left us a review, no matter how brief. It helps us get into Apple's algorithm to reach a wider audience. Please feel free to reach out to us. We would love to hear from you about everything and anything. You can find us on all the social medias at Big Gay Energy Pod or email us at BigGayEnergyPod at gmail.com. If you'd like to make friends with other queer media loving people, reach out to us to join our Discord server. If you'd like to support us, check out our merch store or join our Patreon for early access to episodes, exclusive content, and so much more. Until next time, stay safe and hydrate for Lesbian Jesus.